Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 59 of the Draft Addicts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline as we get set to finish up our AFC East draft reviews with the Patriots and the Jets tonight. What's going on, Tony? Not much. I mean, we're going to be talking about two franchises that consistently seem to be heading in different directions. I mean, the the Patriots franchise, I think you can make the argument, has probably been the greatest sports franchise of the last 20 years, especially when you look at the uh, salary cap consideration, the player movement through free agency. Meanwhile, the Jets, except for a few years with Rex Ryan, where they were literally a half a yard from the Super Bowl at times, seem to be unable to get out of their own way. So that's what we'll be talking about tonight. Absolutely. And we'll never know what may have been if the Jets ended up making those Super Bowls. But certainly they're looking to be a team on the upward trajectory and and that's their hope. So we'll see if they can get there. But we will start here with the New England Patriots. We discussed them in our division recap shows as rivaling the Buffalo Bills for the AFC East best draft. Now, that draft hall started with the last pick of round one, where the Patriots chose Arizona State wide receiver Nikhil Harry, the only non-rookie receivers on the New England roster that actually have contracts heading into next season, are Braxton Berrios and Damon Patterson. Josh Gordon and Demarius Thomas are up in the air for, at the very least, the beginning of the season for various different reasons. So New England needed help here in addition to Julian Edelman and Philip Dorsett. Harry's a big physical receiver, really impressed at the combine after rumors were that he would run in the four sixes and even four seven, ran a four five three, which was a great time for him. Despite that, he's not a great separator, but he's excellent after the catch with the ball in his hands. He's got good ball skills and the ability to win down the field and in the air and really should help New England right away, regardless of the role he ends up playing, even if there may have been better options available at his position on the board when New England ended up drafting him. Yeah, bigger receiver. I mean, everyone projected them to go tight end, but there was no tight end available to them. So what do they do? They go with a bigger body possession receiver who, as you said, performed much better than expected at the uh, combine. Uh, I would expect that he's going to quickly become a favorite target for Tom Brady because he's the biggest receiver they're going to have in their starting lineup. And he's already penciled in to be with the first team. So, you know, overall, when all said and done, we had said on draft day, the board was A.J. Brown was the number one receiver on their board. Turned out to be Nikhil Harry. I mean, same type of a receiver, a little bit bigger bodied. Good for Harry, and I'm sure the Patriots will find a way to extract as much talent as possible from him. Now, day two brought four rookies to Foxborough. Vanderbilt cornerback Jawan Williams started it off in round two. Michigan edge rusher Chase Winovich in round three, along with Alabama running back Damian Harrison, West Virginia offensive tackle Yadni Kajust. Now, Williams was New England's second straight corner in the second round. They drafted Duke Dawson out of Florida last season. Williams has good size, good ball skills, but deep speed is lacking. And most know about the Patriots' general failure of late drafting corners early. They've hit in free agency. They've traded for players simply because they haven't been able to draft corners. Hopefully for them, Williams bucks that trend. Winovich, out of these four players, is actually my favorite pick. A good athlete with a high motor, produced well for the Wolverines, outproduced his more ballyhooed teammate Rashawn Gary, who went 12th overall to Green Bay. He's only 256 pounds, so he's a bit small to play end in a 4-3, but his floor is that of an excellent situational rusher. Damian Harris enters a bit of a crowded backfield here. 
Not sure if the Pats drafted him because they're concerned about Sony Michelle's longevity. There were questions about Michelle's knee heading into the draft last year. But Harris is probably their most complete overall back. He can run between the tackles. He has good vision and burst. He's a solid, if unspectacular, receiver out of the backfield. But Michelle, not much of a receiver. And obviously James White is a guy who's not going to bang it on the inside between the tackles. And now Kajust, like Williams, another upside pick here with good size. He's strong at the point, has some struggles in pass protection, but should provide some solid depth behind Isaiah Wynn and Marcus Cannon with the ability to step in for either one of them if necessary. And Tony, what do you think of the Patriots' second-day picks? You know, the thing about Williams is this. He has the size, the temperament, the mentality to be kicked inside to a safety if you're concerned about that cornerback speed. I think he'll do well in the Patriots' system. But again, you know, he can play zone. You can play him facing the action. And I think Belichick will find a way to uh, protect against that lack of deep speed. Chase Winovich, I mean, a lot of ways he's the ultimate Patriots pick. I mean, a guy who gets the most from his talent. You look at the Patriots, you think of guys like Mike Vrabel, you think of guys like Teddy Bruschi, guys who really didn't fit at the next level. I think Chase Winovich obviously fits, but I, I think he's he's the perfect Patriots player. Belichick will put him in positions to to produce at the next level. He'll move him around. He'll get everything out of Chase Winovich. I think this was a great pick for the Patriots, as was Damian Harris. I mean, he's more of a downhill power uh, ball carrier, which they really don't have on the roster right now. You know, Sonny Michel, as you mentioned, has had some injury concerns. He's more of a quick, explosive guy who can turn the corner. James White's a third down back. I think what uh, Damian Harris gives him, he gives him a more of a short yardage goal line type of ball carrier that can move the pile and move the sticks. Yadni Kajus, again, another Patriots type of lineman. I mean, a guy who he's got some injuries. He may not be ready to play right away. But, you know, if they're patient with him, you have a longtime starter at the tackle position or you move one of those tackles around or, you know, if Marcus Cannon's coming up for uh, contract renewal soon. And remember, they did a similar thing with Marcus Cannon, who had a significantly more severe situation where he had cancer right before or he was diagnosed with cancer right before the draft. They drafted him in the fifth round. They let him rehab. They let him get back to strength. And lo and behold, he's been their starting right tackle. So I don't think it's going to be that long of a process for Yadni Kajust. In fact, I know it's not going to be that long of a process for Yadni Kajust to uh, move back onto the field. A lot of people thought he was top 42 talent. He made a lot of bad decisions in the lead up to the draft, then had the injury. Where the Patriots got him late in round three, I think that's a major steal. And New England added five picks on day three. Arkansas guard Yelda Froholt and Auburn quarterback Jarrett Stidham were their fourth-round picks. Maryland defensive tackle Byron Cowart and Stanford punter, yes, I said punter, Jacob Bailey were their picks in round five. And Mississippi corner Ken Webster was their final selection in the seventh round. Froholt fortifies the interior offensive line after they took Kajus to help out at tackle. Froholt could actually be the 2020 replacement for Joe Thune when Thune hits free agency if he develops in the Patriots system and they feel comfortable moving forward with him. Stidham is a quarterback that we like more than most. His college offense at Auburn really held him back, but he never really raised his level of play either. So there are concerns around him, even though there were concerns around his offense as well. He did impress at the Senior Bowl, looked good throughout the draft process as a whole, throughout the combine, and he is in a great spot to develop behind Tom Brady like many others before him. You know, you can run down the list of Patriots backups that have eventually landed elsewhere on their feet as starters, whether it's Matt Castle or Jimmy Garoppolo, or recently they traded Jacoby Brissett to Indy. He might end up being a starting quarterback next year, so they've definitely hit on those second-day and early third-day quarterbacks. It's possible they did it again with Stidham. 
Now, Byron Cowart was formerly a highly rated recruit, transferred from Auburn to Maryland and played well for the Terrapins, has the size and developmental potential to be worth a flyer here in the fifth round. Ken Webster is probably the most interesting pick when you look at it here because he was a very highly rated player before injuries really wrecked his college career. He tested as a really good athlete at the Combine, showing that he is healthy at least right now. He's got good size and instincts. If he can stay on the field and physically get back to where he was as a sophomore in 2016, this pick is going to look really good for New England. What stands out to you, Tony? First with Froholt. I mean, I've always liked Froholt. I liked him coming into the season. I watched him against Alabama. I wrote about him as a riser. I, for the longest time, had him as a fourth-round prospect. I foolishly moved him into the fifth round right before the draft. I think this is an outstanding pick for the uh, Patriots. If he doesn't replace one of the starters in time, he's a terrific backup, and I think he's going to be on the roster for a long time. Stidham, I mean, we can talk about Stidham until the cows come home. We've gushed over him, as you said, and we spoke about him more highly than others. Listen, I'll repeat what I said about Stidham on this podcast in the past and what I've said in national radio interviews. Stidham is the kind of guy that the Patriots can develop into the start, into their starter for the next 10 years and take over for Tom Brady, or is a guy that in a year and a half, they're going to trade and get a top 45 pick for him. He has all the physical skills. He showed in 2017, he was probably deserved to be a first-round pick, did not play well in 2018. It's a matter of pulling the pieces together. And, you know, along with Andy Reid in Kansas City, Doug Peterson in Philadelphia, the Patriots as an organization have shown the ability to develop quarterbacks like no other team in the league. Brian Cowart, the fifth round pick from Maryland, liked this kid since he was uh, at Auburn. Had some issues at Auburn, transferred. I think he's going to fit well in the Patriots system. They'll probably use him sort of as, as a three technique guy on the inside to make plays. He's athletic. He's strong. He's explosive. He plays with a great mentality. I think it was a terrific selection. Jacob Bailey for the uh, Patriots in the sixth round. Uh, I'm sorry, in the fifth round, you know, they always have a way with drafting these kickers late in the draft who somehow stick around forever. Will Bailey be able to do that? We'll wait and see, but I can understand why they would take him in the sixth round. As you said, Ken Webster, an interesting pick. Uh, Just to reiterate what I said on Sunday of the draft, Webster's a guy who, coming into the 2016 season, I had rated very highly, suffered a devastating injury the first game of the year against Florida State, was on the sidelines, basically has looked like a fraction of himself the past year since returning from that injury because it was such a devastating injury. But he tested much better than expected. And again, you know, this is a Patriot type of pick, a guy who they will draft late. They don't need him to play right away. They'll let him develop. Maybe he makes the active roster as a ninth defensive back, fourth cornerback. Maybe they put him on the practice squad. But as he, if he ever gets back up to the form that he showed his first two years at Mississippi – and he's able to stay on the Patriots roster, they got themselves a steal. Absolutely. And the Patriots also picked up 10 undrafted free agents after the draft. Missouri linebacker Therese Hall is the only one we actually had graded as a draftable prospect. He's 230 pounds, but has good length at over six foot one. He's a bit thin in terms of holding up against the run, but he has enough speed and athleticism to contribute on special teams and as a backup at the second level. NC State wide receiver Jacoby Myers is kind of yet another slot prospect for the Patriots, a team that obviously has stockpiled these types of players throughout the year. But Myers isn't that short, shifty guy. He's more of a big slot at 6'1 and a half, 203 pounds. Not a great athlete, but a definite reliable target underneath for Ryan Finley with the Wolfpack. Shows the ability to go up and get the ball in the air at times as well. Actually had a good vertical jump at the combine to kind of confirm that that ability might be able to translate 
at the next level. So those are two guys that caught my eye out of the post-draft signings here. Thoughts on those two and maybe some other UDFAs of note for you, Tony? I like Therese Hall. He's a run-and-chase linebacker. I think he should have been selected in the late rounds. Jacoby Myers off the 2017 film. I absolutely loved him. I thought he was a potential middle-round choice. Did not play as well in 2018 as I expected. Decided to enter the draft ran terribly. I mean, I don't think he was able to get under 4-6, which is why he fell out of the draft. But the fact is this. He's a solid route runner. He, he's got reliable hands. You use him on underneath routes, and you may have something there. Calvin Anderson, you can find a... a a uh, scouting report on Calvin Anderson at draftanalyst.com. He was a guy who was not graded by scouts coming into the season. Played very well for Texas at left tackle. I think he's going to be a good backup at the next level. I don't know if he's going to make the uh, Patriots roster, but I think he's going to be playing football this fall on either an active roster or practice squad. I was never very big on Malik Gant. I had him graded as a free agent. Some people thought he was a middle-round prospect. I saw a guy who was slow, who didn't have great sideline-to-sideline range. And at times did more hitting than tackling. Andrew Beck's an interesting choice. You know, he's a real good blocker. I could see uh, what they're needed uh, tight end. I could see Beck making the roster as potentially a third tight end. He's definitely a Bill Belichick type of guy. He's not the greatest athlete, but he gets the most from his ability. And he's someone who on third and short or third and goal, you can put him on the field. He's going to do an excellent job as a blocker, can sneak off the line of scrimmage and catch those short passes. Nick Brousset of LSU, a lot of people thought he was going to be selected in a draft. We did not have a draftable grade on him, but still, he offers some size at the running back position for the uh, New England Patriots. So I think he's going to compete for a roster spot. Now, we talked on our division recap show that the Patriots were probably one of the top two drafts in the division, along with the Bills. Tony, how would you grade it overall? I thought it was good. Uh, You know, good bordering on real good, if you would. I love their second-day picks. Joan Williams, Chase Winovich, I think, is going to add immediate impact as a uh, rookie. I think Damian Harris will produce as a rookie in certain spots. I think Yadnick Juiced will eventually be a big-time player for them. I like Froholt and and Stidham in round four. I like Cowart. I think they got guys. I don't think they got any superstars. I think they got guys that are going to help as starters or situational players, and I think they filled a lot of needs. I thought it was a terrific effort by the Patriots. Now we'll hit the Jets in just a moment, but before we do, please support the Draft Analyst by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave a rating and a review. And if you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. Now, the Jets only had six picks in this year's draft after they traded up last year for Sam Darnold, gave up a bunch of second-day picks in order to secure their quarterback of the future. Now, there are obviously many rumors that they wanted to move down from the number three overall pick and that they would even take a discount to do so in kind of a desperate move to gather more draft capital. In the end, they stayed put at number three, whether the offers weren't what they expected or whether they just weren't that interested in moving down and it was a smokescreen. We'll never know, but they ended up drafting one of the clear top two prospects available in this year's draft in Alabama defensive tackle Quinnen Williams. He'll play between Henry Anderson and Leonard Williams, who the Jets took several years ago in what ended up being actually a similar situation as a top talent who fell a couple slots behind some quarterbacks and other players at positions of greater value, if you might say. But those are three guys who can fill multiple spots on Greg Williams' defensive line. They can all fill in at different places. He can move them around. He can play them like chess pieces. So it'll be interesting to see how he uses them there. 
Nick Bosa, the other top prospect in this draft, would have probably filled their edge need a bit better, but he didn't get past San Francisco despite his political leanings. But Williams is a guy who enjoyed a breakout 2018 season. He ran a 4.83 40-yard dash at 303 pounds, really showing off that athleticism. He's disruptive. He plays well against both the run and the pass. I mentioned that the Jets need some help pressuring the quarterback. Williams can do that from the inside. Eight sacks last season, and as we've seen, the Jets can't get past the Patriots, and one way to knock Tom Brady off his spot is to provide interior pressure. So even if they didn't get an edge rusher, they did get a guy who can push the pocket against both the pass and on running downs as well. As much as a trade down would have helped them add picks, it's really hard to quibble with Quinn in here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, they got the best player in the draft, and they deserve credit for that. I don't know if there were any trade offers. I don't know if we'll ever find out if there were any trade offers. But like you said, I mean, this harkens back to 2015 when Leonard Williams fell into their laps. He was the best player in the draft. They had some trade offers then, but McCagnan decided that the offers were not worth the value of bypassing Leonard Williams. But like 2015, I mean, defensive tackle was not an area of need for the Jets. Quinton Williams is going to make that defensive line better. He doesn't answer the questions of uh, an edge pass rusher or a starting corner or, or a starting center. But when you get the best player in the, in the draft with the third selection of the draft, and Williams is a great player, you really can't uh, quibble. The Jets had two picks in the third round. They turned those picks into Florida edge rusher Ja'Kai Polite and UFC offensive tackle Chuma Idoga, who played with quarterback Sam Darnold at USC. Both guys come with some character concerns. Polite bombed the pre-draft process, struggled to handle some of the questions that teams threw at him, really didn't show the ability to handle adversity, while Idoga has some questions about his personality. Back to on the field, though, where Pullet was highly productive in his final season with the Gators. He's athletic enough to play in space, which he's going to need to do at outside linebacker in the Jets system. In the end, he's a typical boomer bust type pick, but for a team that needed a top-notch edge rusher, it was probably worth the selection here just to see if he can boom and provide first-round value at a third-round rate. Adoga may have been a bit of a reach here, but he was a guy who excelled at the senior bowl. Might have to kick inside to guard in the NFL, but he played tackle in college. He does have some experience and versatility, which with the amount of holes on the Jets offensive line could come in handy because they do need a lot of help up front. As I said, when I was on a podcast, ESPN podcast with Rich Samini, I mean, there's the Ja'Kai Polite before the combine and there's the Ja'Kai Polite after the combine. The Ja'Kai Polite before the combine was a top 15 pick. The Green Bay Packers were in love with him. Everyone thought, as we said on this podcast, he was graded by a number of teams as the second best edge rusher in the draft. Some teams liked him as a pure edge rusher better than Nick Boza. That doesn't mean he's a better player, just a better edge rusher. Some teams liked him as a better edge rusher than Josh Allen. Then there's what took place during the uh, combine. The interviews, the poor workout, and the media segment where he was calling out teams, which was disastrous. And then there's the post-combine, Ja'Kai Polite, where he fell down draft boards, didn't have a good pro day, and eventually fell into the third round. Now, you know, what's going to happen is, is you're going to look at Ja'Kai Polite at the 68th pick, and you're going to basically compare him and contrast to see how he does opposed to Chase Winovich, who the New England Patriots selected with the 77th pick. Polite has a great amount of upside. He is a terrific pass rusher. The thing about Polite is, that's worrisome, is what is his real playing weight? Because he came into the combine about 19 pounds heavier than his 233-pound playing weight last year at Florida. And I was told that additional weight led to the hamstring issues, which led him to only run 140 at the combine. Wasn't able to handle the additional weight. The Jets had him in for a visit. He was at 243 pounds, and they were happy with that. 
Now, is he actually going to be able to play at 243 pounds? Or is a guy who's naturally 233, 235 pounds who's going to be playing it in the 240s and always having hamstring issues? That's one thing to be concerned about. The next thing to be concerned about is, you know, it's not always an easy transition going from rushing the passer out of a three-point stance to standing over tackle. A lot of guys can't make that transition. You know, Michael Sam being one, uh, one example. Now, I use Michael Sam because... He was a phenomenal pass rusher out of a three-point stance at Missouri. I believe was the SEC Defensive Player of the Year his senior season. Was a guy who they couldn't stop. He goes to the Senior Bowl. They try and stand them up over tackle, and he was awful. He looked lost in space. Granted, there's more to the story, but Michael Sam was not the same pass rusher standing over tackle that he was out of a three-point stance. Then with Polite, you know, there's always concerns, or my concern is, I, I mentioned before the draft even happened that my main concern with Ja'Kai Polite is, you know, he could be a target at the next level. He could be a target in the media. He could be a target of fans. He could be a target of teammates and coaches because of what went on at the Combine. So I, I think Polite needs to really come out of the gate hot because if he's slow or he's not producing, who knows what's going to happen and who knows how he's going to react. I hope it works out for him. I think he's got a higher upside than Chase Winovich, but as you said, he's got a big bus factor. With Adoga, I just don't know what they were thinking with Adoga. Likely the better pick for them would have been Connor McGovern, who went two selections before uh, the Jets' choice when the Dallas Cowboys snatched him up. You know, is he a tackle? Is he a guard? Are they going to try and move him to center? You know, there are personality issues uh, with Adoga. As Rich Samiti pointed out in the podcast that I did with him, there were some teams who took Adoga off their draft board. Six three and a half, three hundred eight pounds, runs a five one nine. You know, is he big enough to play tackle in the NFL? Absolutely agree with what you said, Chris. He was one of the best left tackles at the Senior Bowl. He showed great footwork. He showed great lateral blocking range. He was terrific in pass protection. But if you go back to his film in 2018, he was very inconsistent, very uninspired. He didn't really stand out to you. So if the Jets are able to harness what they saw at the Senior Bowl and build upon that, they may have something. If they don't, you know, I just don't know what, what they're going to do with them. Did they really need to draft the guard in the third round? Especially since a few picks later, again, I go back to the uh, New England Patriots, they took Yodney Kajust, who can play uh, either tackle spot. Maybe left tackle, definitely right tackle. I was just, just a little bit miffed by this pick. I mean, the bottom line is, is, is Chuma Adoga that much of an improvement over Kelvin Beecham? I got to say no, which is why I was surprised by this selection. Now, New York rounded out its draft on the third day with West Virginia tight end Trevon Wesco in the fourth round, Minnesota linebacker Blake Cashman in the fifth, and Rutgers cornerback Bleshuan Austin in the sixth. Now, Wesco might not jump Eric Tomlinson on the depth chart this year, but Tomlinson hits free agency after the season, and Wesco's skill set as a blocker and short-range pass catcher really does contrast pretty nicely with last year's fourth-round tight end that the Jets chose, Chris Herndon, out of Miami. Now, Blake Cashman is actually a favorite of mine, a uh, guy who, when I watched him on film, thought he was a guy, he'd probably run in the four sixes, but he played faster than that on tape, good recognition skills. Then he goes and he tests well in the 40, ran a four five at the combine, also had really impressive jumps and agility drills. Now he's a bit undersized at six foot one, 237 pounds, but his floor is that of a really a special teams demon, and he'll provide some nice depth behind C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson. Now you mentioned the Jets had a fourth round grade on Austin a few weeks ago in a piece on draftanalyst.com. Getting him in the sixth round doesn't mean that that grade was off, but it does mean that their interest in him was absolutely sincere. He was highly graded before the season, but he's had two knee surgeries in the past two years. 
If he can recover from that, he's got good size, fluid athleticism, and just needs a bit of developmental work along with improved health. You can sort of liken this pick to the Patriots pick we mentioned earlier of Ken Webster, of a guy who is a very talented cornerback, but has dealt with numerous injury issues over the past couple seasons. Your thoughts on these picks, Tony? Wesco is a nice player, but I don't know what the Jets are going to do with him. I mean, they need immediate help. And you got a guy who is, at best, your third tight end. You know, nine selections later, the Oakland Raiders took cornerback Isaiah Johnson from Houston, which I thought would have been a better fit for the Jets. Blake Cashman, I agree with you. I mean, he's a guy who, he's undersized, but he plays fast. He plays fierce. As you said, special teamer. The issue with him is multiple shoulder injuries. I mean, uh, multiple shoulder surgeries, I should say. And, And that's in large part because of the way he plays. I mean, he sacrifices his body you know, to make plays on the football. Now, I'm sure they got him for special teams ability. Maybe they got him to safeguard in case they eventually move Darren Lee. Like the player, like the athlete, I like where they got him, but there are red flags as far as his injury is concerned. And when you speak of injuries, that's the first thing that comes out of your mouth when you talk about Blesson Austin. I mean, a guy who's barely played football the past two years, a size-speed prospect who, entering the season, was graded as one of the top three senior quarterbacks in the nation by scouts. But again, a guy that's had multiple knee surgeries on the same year, which has limited his ability. You know, we talked about the Patriots before with Ken Webster. Ken Webster came back from a serious knee injury, played most of 2018. Blessing Austin has basically been on the sidelines the past two years. He's a size speed prospect uh, with an injury history who the film isn't that great. It's a guy that's got a high upside. I mean, I guess that's why you take him in the sixth round. But there were a lot of red flags as far as I was concerned with this selection. Absolutely. And when teams like the Jets in this situation don't have a ton of draft picks, that usually gives them more opportunities at free agents after the draft as they have 53-man roster spots available. They have more holes on the depth chart. As a result, the Jets grabbed 15 players after the draft, which is a lot. One of the higher totals among the NFL teams here. Well, nobody really stands out as an amazing value. Tennessee defensive end Kyle Phillips was a sixth rounder on our board. Unfortunately, he's a strange fit in a 3-4 at 272 pounds with 4.91 speed. Where do you play him? You can't play him as a five technique defensive end. He's not really quick or fast enough to stand up over edge. But in the end, he is an explosive first step lineman who has some potential in sub packages if they end up playing a four man line on passing downs. Appalachian State running back Jalen Moore had a chance at the senior bowl to really impress, but he missed the week after fracturing and dislocating his ankle in October. He had surgery and just wasn't recovered in time. He's got the size and power to be an effective downhill runner. He's also a good pass blocker, even if his hands as a receiver leave a bit to be desired. But he's a guy who could fit in at some point for the Jets in what's really an up-in-the-air backfield behind Le'Veon Bell and Eli McGuire. And Wake Forest receiver Greg Dortch should help replace Pro Bowl returner Andre Roberts if he ends up making the team. He's probably too small and not a good enough athlete to make up for that lack of size to truly make an impact as a wide receiver. But he was highly productive with the Demon Deacons and does have good ball skills. But in the end, probably just too small to make a big impact outside of special teams. Tony, what do you think of the Jets' UDFA Hall? Yeah, too small and too slow for Dorch because the problem with Dorch is not only is he small, he didn't run under 4'6 during his pro day. So you're talking about a guy with poor size speed numbers. I agree with you about Kyle Phillips. I like him as a player. Jeff Allison, he's a tough, stout inside linebacker. I like Santos Ramirez, the defensive back, the safety from uh, Arkansas, more of a strong safety special teamer. When I look at this group, you know, despite the fact that it's got large numbers, I just basically see roster fill here. I see guys that are camp bodies. I don't see any of these guys. Maybe Santo, uh, Santos Ramirez, maybe Kyle Phillips, if they use him correctly. 
that have any chance of making an active roster. And like you said, you know, a lot of needs for the Jets, limited picks. You know, we, we talked about some of the guys that uh, the Patriots signed, Jacoby Myers. We've talked about some of the guys that the Dolphins and even the Buffalo Bills assigned in free agency, Tyrell Dotson uh, of Texas A&M, David Sills of West Virginia. I don't see anybody of that caliber uh, from the signings uh, that the Jets uh, inked after the draft. Yeah, and one theme, if you've kind of listened over the last 15 minutes, it's pretty obvious, is that the Jets have a lot of risk in this draft. More or less, every player they chose was a risk outside of Quinn and Williams. Maybe Trevon Wesco wasn't really that much of a risk, but again, how does he fit? They needed more immediate help, and for a GM like Mike McCagnan, who is reportedly on the hot seat here, and you know everything you look at says that he probably should be at this point in his tenure you draft the guy who's going to be your backup to an end potentially next season. Really didn't make a ton of sense, as you said, even if he's a solid player. But in the end, I think a lot of this draft is going to depend on Ja'Kai Polite. If he hits, it's going to be a lot easier to stomach a lot of the other risks that the Jets ended up taking. If he doesn't hit, well, this could be really, really ugly after Quinn and Williams. What kind of grade would you give the Jets in this scenario? You know, I think Quinn and Williams is the only thing that keeps it afloat for me because overall, I think it's a poor effort except for Quinn and Williams. Like you said, Ja'Kai Polite, it's a boomer bust pick. I understand why the Jets rolled the dice and I could see why they would do it. But when you look at the other picks, I mean, these other guys are, are more luxury selections that a playoff team would take. You know, I could see the Patriots taking a guy like Adoga in round three or Blessing Austin in round six. And then, you know, trying to develop them, trying to see if they can stash them on the active roster, put them on the practice squad, or just cutting them, and it doesn't matter. Uh, Trevon Wesco is a player that the Philadelphia Eagles would select to be their third tight end. Not the New York Jets in the fourth round when they, you know, they've got a good cornerback like Isaiah Johnson still available to them, and they need an immediate starter at uh, cornerback. They don't need a third tight end. You know, they passed up Kelvin Harmon in the sixth round in favor of Bleston Austin. The Skins picked him up 10 selections later. I mean, Kelvin Harmon would have been an immediate help for the uh, New York Jets as potentially their fourth or maybe even their third receiver. I just think that Quentin Williams is a saving grace for this draft. I hate to be redundant. When you look at the amount of holes, the fact is they had to come out of this draft with three starters, an edge rusher, a center, a cornerback. You look at this, maybe they got their edge rusher in Ja'Kai Polite. That's questionable. Quentin Williams is going to help make the defense better, but I think overall, Quentin Williams basically saves this from being a, instead of it being a poor effort, in my opinion, it's an average effort. And that's all for the 59th episode of The Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll have another podcast for you Thursday to kick off our two-show NFC East review, and we'll follow that up with one more Friday to get you through the weekend. Don't forget to check us out at draftanalyst.com and take a look at our 2020 mock draft, as well as scouting reports on your favorite team's draft picks and undrafted free agent signings. On behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.